Hey, 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 what is going on, Cube fam? Hope you guys are doing well. Coming at you guys with another podcast here. Today's topic is going to be on Jerome Powell and essentially how he's in a pretty tough spot here. We have markets with insane volatility, as I discussed in the last podcast. We have earnings rolling in, as I discussed in the podcast before that. And as we near the March FOMC meeting, it's important we have this discussion about what exactly is going on, why Powell's in a tough spot, and then I want to clear up a few other things. So let's just get right into it. We have been going through even more volatility since the last time, and it doesn't seem to end. We have the markets down quite a bit to kick the year off. And What's been happening as of late uh, since the last podcast I did is actually a lot. So we got inflation numbers come in. They came in at 7.5% for January, which was above the consensus estimate for 72 7.3%, depending on the source you used. And that started triggering rumors about a potential emergency Fed hike, which, as we know, did not happen. But with that, Okay, so that's just one side of things. With that also came um, uh, some more vocal Fed presidents. So Bullard has been preaching that he wants a 50 basis point hike uh, in March, and he wants at least 100 basis points uh, by July. And that's been making the market a little nervous because if you guys remember, on the day we did that inflation print, the market was actually open at the low, Right and started recovering, almost went green in the day. Then Bullard hopped on the mic and was like, we need to get control of this. This is not good. We need to hike harder. And the market took an absolute downturn. As of this podcast, right now, the market, based on where rates are, futures are, we are looking at six hikes this year. That is what the market is pricing in. So... Market didn't take too well to Bullard's comments that day. Um, And then on top of this, we've also been hearing on the other end where guys like the Fed Minneapolis president, uh, Neil Kashkari, has been more dovish, you know, pretty much the opposite of Bullard. He's like, look, let's, yeah, let's hike in March. Let's, you know, maybe do three hikes this year, but let's not commit to a certain number. Let's see how the market reacts to it. Let's take a more wait and see approach. He's pretty confident that inflation will start to make its way down towards the 2%. He doesn't think it's going to get to 2%, but he does believe that it's going to start making its way drastically towards 2% by the end of the year. I know a lot of people disagree with that, and I'm going to touch on that a little bit more uh, later on in this episode. But I just wanted to talk about how difficult Powell's job is here. And he tends to be, if you ask me, kind of in between. He's not as dovish as Kashkari. He's not as hawkish as Bullard. So Powell does a really good job tiptoeing that line down the middle. Um, and I do think, obviously, we're going to see a, a hike in March. I think everyone's in agreement with that, just whether you think it's going to be 25 basis points or 50. But what I will give credit uh, to Powell on is that we didn't do it in, in an emergency hike because all that would have done, in my opinion, is make the markets go frantic. 25 basis points, you know, three weeks ahead of time versus the March meeting isn't going to slow inflation down. It makes you look nervous and essentially it makes investors think that the captain behind this, you know, that's, you know, navigating this ship 
doesn't really know exactly what's going on. So you, the, the Fed, this is what I'm trying to get at. The Fed, especially Powell, needs to find the right balance between not scaring investors into thinking he doesn't have things under control and at the same time can't be overly aggressive because he'll you know, worry the market. So if they hike too hard this year, I have concerns about a recession. Uh, if we look at the two-year, 10-year spread as it begins to drip, drip, drip closer to, to flat, you know, that's been a really good indicator of predicting future recessions. It's predicted the last six in a row. That has been coming down drastically. We're not at the zero mark yet. Last I checked, around 45 basis points on the two-year, 10-year spread, but that has been dripping as the two-year continues to rip. It finally took a relief this week, actually. For the first time this year, the two-year actually closed the, the yield lower than where it started the week. That's the first time this year, which is just nuts to think about. Um, but so I have my concerns that if the Fed does go with six, potentially seven rate hikes this year, uh, we could be seeing uh, a potential recession in late 2023, uh, middle of 2024. Uh, I think the Fed needs to be a little more gradual. It's, this is what I'm assuming they're going to do. But if, if on the other end, you're not aggressive enough, the Fed looks too lackadaisical. They're not trying to take it, uh, take control of inflation. And then they look like they're you know, incompetent. So that, that balance has to be met. And that's why Powell has such a tough job. Um, one more thing I wanted to talk about, because I'm not trying to make this episode like 25 minutes. I know you guys... I've been getting some feedback. You guys would prefer shorter episodes. So I'm going to definitely get on top of that. But um, this is the second half of this episode now. I've been seeing some links being thrown around. I have one right in front of me on a company called techstartups.com. This was one of three I saw on the front page of Google. And there's a reason I'm, I'm talking about this too. I don't put out a whole ton of podcasts like frequently every single day. Because when you're in my profession and you're in this field, you need to cross your T's and dot your I's like no other industry, really, because we're talking money here. And that we're not this is not a UFC podcast. It's not an NBA podcast where I can share my thoughts, you know, on Steph Curry or John Jones. This is not what this is. All right. There's no harm, no foul if I get that wrong. There is when you're talking about money because people are listening to you and they might take some of what you say and apply it to their investment strategies or, or what have you. So I've been seeing this article here. It's titled, 80% of all U.S. dollars in existence were printed in the last 22 months, from $4 trillion in January 2020 to $20 trillion in October 21. So I'm scrolling here, and uh, this article is talking about um, now, quote, Now, a little over a year after our last piece, the Federal Reserve has updated the numbers. Sadly, it's no longer 40% of all U.S. dollars that were printed since 2020, not 50%, and not even 70%. Since January 2020, the U.S. has printed nearly 80% of all U.S. dollars in existence. To understand the magnitude of the Fed's money printing, we need to go back 22 months ago. At the start of 2020, there was $4 trillion in circulation. On January 1st, the number increased to $6.7 trillion, and then the Fed went into overdrive. By October, the number was $20 trillion in circulation. I, this is not the only site that I saw make this article. 
And I had the reason I'm doing this because someone brought this up in the group chat and I had to I had to put an end to this right away before people get misinformation. And that's why you have to be very careful, guys. This is not true. It's point blank not true. Have we printed money? Yes, every central bank has in response to the pandemic. Has it been 80% of all US dollars that are in circulation today? No. And let me let me tell you why. This site, I'm like, where did they get these numbers from? And they show the M1 money supply skyrocketing from 4 trillion to 20 trillion and that's what they're using as a source. Little do these people know, and it's multiple people that have done these articles, little do they know, okay, that the Fed changed the definition in May of 2020 of what the M1 money supply is. They started, they changed the definition to include savings account to better reflect the money supply. That changed everything. That immediately made the M1 money supply go from $4 trillion, like the, like the site cited, okay, to roughly 16, 17, almost 18. Oh, I'm looking at right now, $17.8 trillion immediately because of the change in definition. This is pure this misinformation and fear-mongering. And this is why you have to be so careful where you get your news from. This is why I am still in business today, why I've been able to run Cube successfully on my own, working full-time on this for four years, okay? I started Cube six years ago, but for four years, I've been working on Cube full-time. And the reason I'm able to do this is because I prefer quality over quantity. I, I have notes and everything. You guys hear the pages flip through and all the podcasts, and I have to prep for every single Podcast I do, every single Instagram post, every sing, everything I do, I have to be so careful and study every minute detail. So I wanted to use this podcast. To, since we're talking about the Fed, we're talking about uh, inflation, we're talking about rates, it's only natural that I bring this up, the M1 money supply, and talk about this uh, as a second half of this podcast and work in the misinformation because you need to know the whole story. So what would this number actually be? The M1 money supply, if it were not adjusted, if, if the definition did not change, roughly, so you cannot pull these numbers anymore. And I'm on the Fed's website right now, fredblog.stlouisfed.org. You can look it up yourself, okay? Uh, it, it's been discontinued after January 2021. So it went for another six more months. You can no longer extract these numbers because of the way they clump them. So it's impossible now to figure out what the exact M1 money supply was under the old definition today. But they did provide it a chart going for the next six months after that. And the M1 money supply went from $4 trillion to $6.8 trillion. So about a $2.8 trillion increase. All right? But, but now you see it, it's, it's close to $20 trillion. It, it's, it's, it's crazy that these people did not look into it. I mean, ask yourself. When something just sound, doesn't sound right, all right? Like, $8 out of the 10 in your pocket... Come on, you know that's not true, that eight of them were just printed in the last 22 months. You'd think inflation would only be 7.5% if that were the case. Like, come on, like put a little common sense into it. Stop trying to run for a headline, run for clicks. And the, the sad thing is, no one's going to hold this accountable. So I have to draw the line in the sand here. I have to make this apparent to you guys, because it's dangerous if no one wants to talk about it.
So no, the money supply did not go from four trillion to twenty trillion. It went from four trillion to roughly six point eight trillion as of January of last year. You could probably guess it's somewhere in the mid sevens now, based on how much the Fed was buying since and how they're tapering now. You could do rough math. It's somewhere around that range. And, and did these not did these people not even think about well if if that happened why did the national debt not go up by sixteen trillion dollars? In the same time period, like it just makes you wonder who's behind some of these sites. It's just mind-boggling, mind-boggling, unbelievable. So, I wanted to bring that up, and because we're touching on inflation now, I'm just kind of domino affecting this right now. Because I said, well, if there really was, eighty percent of new bills have been printed in the last twenty-two months, inflation would be a lot higher. That's a, that's a fact. Yes, it would. But even with the the stimulus that we saw, we're starting to see inflation now. And I've had conversations with people, and they're like, "All right, Bez, can you can you explain to me why we're seeing inflation now?" Yeah, it, it's two pronged, um, and we this is not new, right? Monetary stimulus has been happening on and off, but mostly on since the the Great Recession that occurred in 2008, right? But we never really saw inflation then. So we did all that money printing back then, but why was there no inflation then, and why is there inflation now? Uh, there's two reasons. One, when Obama signed TARP, all right, Troubled Asset Relief Program, that was stimulus that was to pretty much solidify bank balance sheets because of all the toxic securities they had and got involved with. That pretty much went straight up to shoring their balance sheets. The difference this time with stimulus, it went right into the hands of the consumers. And never, ever, ever have we seen, especially the lower class and the middle class, have such disposable income before. We've never seen such a double whammy where unemployment was so gratuitous, where the stimulus checks were so lucrative where loans were put on pause from mortgages to rent to school loans. That's a double whammy, lowering expenses and increasing income. All right? And these categories of people are not accustomed to that. So they went on a serious spending spree. I also believe that in the wake of the pandemic at the onset, a lot of CapEx spending occur, occurred. Companies were like, hey, listen, we're, we're, in a, we're in a freaking depression right now. We don't know what the future's like. This, this virus could kill off half the population, we were thinking at one point. They cut spending dramatically. They cut inventories dramatically. They cut orders dramatically. And when you have that kind of demand come in and no preparation of supply, all right, and now you see the, the massive ramp up to meet that, that demand, you get these supply chain problems that we're seeing, and that's from the demand side. And then you also have, you know, when there's a cluster of outbreaks in Vietnam or China, they shut their ports down again. That also weighs on, on the supply chain, which weighs on inflation. So it was two prongs here, but that's the main difference. Oh, wait, we're trying to bail the banks out here. Don't go belly up. The average Joe was left, to stra- left out and stranded, if you ask me, in 08. Got no help whatsoever. This time around, completely different story. I mean, some people are living their best lives during the pandemic. And this is the case. And, and it takes time for inflation to work its way through the systems. So when it becomes finally 
uh, you know, prevalent. But that's the main difference here. And that brings me down full circle to why Powell is in a very, very uh, tough spot. And it's going to be interesting to see what he does. But guys, that is where I want to draw the line for this podcast. Very, very important points, okay? I am I am begging you, please, share this podcast with your friends, with your family. I'm, I'm trying my best to get more content out. But like I said earlier... I need to find the right balance between quantity and quality. Because if I just keep giving you guys quantity, I don't want to sacrifice the quality. And in this business, in this line of work, quality is a necessity. It's not a luxury. It, you need to be on point when you're talking finance, when you're talking numbers. So be careful where you get your sources from. Let's see what the Fed does. I'll circle back with another podcast sometime around that March Fed meeting. And we'll go from there. Thank you all for tuning in. I'll catch you all in the next episode.